Well, today is going to be um, a really special treat for us because we have the pastor from Redemption Alhambra here, Wayne Winter. So, Wayne, come on up. And so I want to just take a second to introduce you to Arcadia. Uh, start out with just a little bit of your bio. Tell us, yeah. are you from the Valley, your family, all the good stuff? Yeah, yeah. So me, my, my wife, uh, my family, we are from New York. Uh, we came out here uh, a while ago, though, because my wife's out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember she came out first. I remember coming out, visiting her, and I promised her that I would never live in Arizona. Uh, God is faithful and does what he wants. So I love Arizona. So yeah. I said the same thing to my husband. So welcome, <laughs> welcome, Wayne. <laughs> so, um, but how did Christ draw you to himself? Yeah. So my wife and I, we grew up Muslims and it was, long story short, my, my wife's mom who converted over first and felt like the Lord was calling her to Arizona, who my wife then girlfriend went, and she became a believer too at the same church and would, would pray for me and um, talk to me about Jesus over and over and over and over and over and over <laughs> again. Um, and so, and I started looking and started finding myself like being drawn to him and came out and got plugged into a church, not really because I believed, but somewhere along the line, I, I sort of like realizing I was in love, and um, I was a believer. So. That's awesome. We're thankful for your wife. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. All right, so you're drawn to the Lord, yeah. you love him, but how about the next step, pastor? Why did you become a pastor? Yeah, um, man, so spending, like, time with the Lord, I probably was like 15 years, um, I was in the, in the church and um, just wanted to, to continue to do more and my original thought wasn't to be a pastor though, I, I, I never imagined I'd be a pastor uh, and it was people that would ask me, hey would you lead this Bible study and then someone asked me, hey would you do this eventually I was asked hey would you be lead pastor and also each step of the way it was it was more of a deal of like lord you're in control and i'm submitting to you and i'm gonna trust you and um and he would just lead me there so i, I didn't have uh, a plan to become a pastor but the lord had that plan and i i was submitting to him along the way um, with everything that he was doing so wonderful well yeah. thank you well let me just take a minute to pray for you okay go on father god i thank you that you know what is best for us, and yes, you, you just continue after us. And yes. I want to thank you for Wayne being obedient and saying, I love you and yes to you. And I pray that as he is teaching us this morning, Father, that he will speak your words and your truth and that we too will have hearts yes. that say yes. yes. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? The reading today is Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. 
You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Ah, oh, awesome. How y'all doing? Good. good? So I got to get my iPad so I can preach. <laughs> that would be good, right? Man, is, listen, I am so just ecstatic to be here with you guys this morning. Thank you for having me out to come. Like, we love you guys at our harbor so, so much. We're so thankful for being able to um, fellowship and partner with you guys on so many different things. And you guys have been just, uh, it's a blessing. So being able to be here and, and fellowship with you this morning is, I'm, I'm thrilled. It's awesome. And I just wanted to, to thank you. And we're going to go into, into Exodus. And whatever we're doing, I'm covering verses 7 through Five through seven, chapters five through seven, right? So no way that I could read that whole thing. So what I'm going to ask you is to just walk with me as I do a flyover, right? And basically, I will, I'll, I'll narrate the story. And as I'm narrating the story, we're going to zoom in on certain verses. And I'll, those will go up on the screen, and then we'll, 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 we'll talk uh, about those verses, what the Lord is, is saying to us as his, his body. We'll spend most of our time in, in chapter 5, but we will also be in 6 and 7. But that's how it's going to be. That's fine with you guys? All right. I'm going to ask you guys like 100 questions and stuff, so just be ready. Like. <laughs> just setting y'all up, though. But um, So we go into the... Exodus 5, right? When we start Exodus 5, we enter in and you find Moses and Aaron finally talking to Pharaoh, right? They're there, they're talking to Pharaoh, and they're like, listen, God wants us to leave. He wants you to let his people go. That's what you see when you enter into, into, into chapter 5. God wants you to let his people go. He wants us to go out and, and worship him. And then in verse 2, we see Pharaoh's response. So I want to read verse 2, 5 and 2, and we see Pharaoh's response. And it says, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I don't know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, Pharaoh, he just, he makes it clear. Like, I don't even know who the Lord is. 
I don't know this God that you're talking about. Why would you expect me to even follow him and do what you have, that you would have for me to do? Like where Pharaoh has come from, there are a whole bunch of other gods, and he even sees himself as a god. And now you're saying, hey, the Lord is saying for you to let his people go. And, and Pharaoh just makes it clear, I have no idea who your Lord is. Now, I know Frank's made this clear. As we go into the book of Exodus, what we see is a God making himself known through the deliverance of his people. That's what we see. We walk in Exodus, we see a God making himself known through the deliverance of his people, and he's making himself known, A, to his people, right? Because they haven't heard much from him for a while. He's making himself known to his people, but I want to also say he's making himself known to the powers that be, okay? He's making himself known to his people, but he's also making himself known to the powers that be. Let me explain. When I say powers that be, I'm, I'm talking spiritually. I'm talking about spiritual powers, right, that shape the systematic idolatry of entire cultures and nations. Jesus refers to this as the world. When he says the world, he's talking about this organized system of idolatry. So when I say a system of idolatry, it's idols on idols on idols, all working together in this oppressive nature, pushing away from anything that's like the kingdom of God. And what we see in Exodus are these powers embodied in Pharaoh, displayed throughout Egypt. That's what you you see here. And in this context, God is making himself known. And it's important that as we look at Exodus and we look at what God was doing back then, that we don't We don't disconnect that from the narrative and story that we're living in today. God was making himself known then, but it's important to understand God is still making himself known today. This is what's happening. He's still, he's still making himself known today, making himself known to his people, people all over that that, that have no idea that, that, that he's mine and he's making himself known to them. He's making himself known to to, to the powers that be. Same powers, same spiritual powers that you see in Exodus. Still shaping the systematic idolatry of cultures and nations. But we look today and we see this embodied in the culture that we live in today. We see this embodied in a culture that that we call home, the culture that our kids go to school in, that we go shopping, that that, that we found the love of our life and we live happily ever after. In the midst of this culture, God still making himself known. And his primary agent, primary method is through the church. The church, 
the embodiment of his word. That's why in Ephesians 3 and 10, Paul is is explaining things and he says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Paul is talking about the same thing. The same thing that Paul is saying God is doing through the church is the same thing that God was doing in the book of Exodus. Same thing. Now in Exodus, these rulers and authorities were were embodied in Pharaoh and this worldly system was displayed through Egypt. Not the only place, but this is where you, you catch a picture of it, right? In Paul's time, he's writing this out, and same thing, these rulers and authorities at that time embodied in Caesar and, and, and walked out through this worldly system that you see moving in Rome, a system of idolatry. We have to continue to look and continue to know that God is still working and you see the same thing in our time when you, when you look at our culture and where we live at, where we breathe at, and you see in our time rulers and authorities and bodies and the people that are in leadership where we are at right now and a culture that's functioning in a country that we love. And you still see this machine, this system of idolatry. And we constantly find ourselves as a church having to listen to God and consider how do we trust God, right? How do we trust God and and continue to have a prophetic voice that helps make God known through word and through deed, through how we live and, 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 and how we respond and walk out his word, making God known to A, his people, P, the, B, the powers that, that, that be that are functioning in the culture that we live. We can't just look at Exodus and sort of disconnect it like just a historical thing that happened back then, but something that's a part of a narrative that we're living in right now. So Moses is there, Aaron is there, and they're talking to Pharaoh. And they're continuing to plead with Pharaoh regarding the letting go of his people, of of God's people. And at this time, Many of the, the Israelites, they, they've like, for real, God is, is letting us go. He's going to rescue us. They've stopped working, and, and, and many of them are, are with Aaron and Moses at this time, and, and they're getting ready to, to leave, and they're saying God wants us to leave and spend some time with them. What I want to look at is the conversation between Pharaoh and Aaron at this point, Exodus 5, 4 through 5, and it reads this. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why did you take the people away from their work 
Give back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. We saw in chapter 2 that the Pharaoh that instituted this, this, this system of oppression in Egypt had, had died. This isn't the same Pharaoh. This is a different Pharaoh. It's not like the movie. This is a, a totally different Pharaoh, right? A Pharaoh that's inherited a system that was now common. This is like 40 years later. There are 40-year-old grown adults where this is all they knew. They didn't know a different time. 40-year-old grown adults that, that for their entire lives, that's how the Israelites are, are, are treated. For their entire lives, this, there, there are Israelites like, is there something other than this? It was common. It was expected. And it's important to, to catch and understand how the systemic oppression of the Hebrews during this time was a byproduct of this systematic idolatry in Egypt as a whole, okay? And in this machine, this machine of idolatry, work had become an idol of means central to the functioning of an entire system of idolatry. So you have the, an idol of destination. This is what I worship to get to where I want. But then you also have an idol of means. And this is what I prop up in order to get to the idol of destination. And work had become this, this huge idol of, of means that was central in everything. And that's why the Hebrews were now only valued as how much they can contribute to the system. That's why Pharaoh's primary concern here is them not working. You've taken them away from their work. And he contrasts it with rest. In the gospel lens, work and rest walk hand in hand, right? And the gospel lens, work and rest walk hand in hand because it speaks to worship. We enter in and we see our God in creation working, working, and then he, he rests. And then he invites us into that rhythm of rest and work. Our first day of existence is a first full day of existence is a day of rest. And then we work and God invites us in to the system of rest and work, work and rest. But in the system of idolatry, work and rest are enemies. They're enemies because work starts to become worshipped, right? And, 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 and as an idol, as an idol of means, and, and rest hinders the, the worship of work. So now they start to clash with one another. Work was the, the underlining thing with every system of slavery. When you look at the Hebrews, 
the underlining thing was, was work. There was a lot of work to do. You even go to the New Testament, when they talk about um, slavery, though, was different. There was still um, aspects of it that was really, really broken and brutal. And the underlining thing there was still work. We fast forward when we look at slavery in our times and in the West and the transatlantic slave trade and everything. The underlining thing there was work. In all the scenarios, there was this unjust treatment with rest being an enemy of work. I'm talking about things that help us to identify idolatry. And this word, even today, we continue to voluntarily submit ourselves to forms of of slavery in order to, to continue to worship work. continue to be as productive as I can be. I got to continue to contribute to the system and rest just gets in the way of that. And at the end of the day, when the, when the dust settles, at the end of the day, at the heart of everything, it is a, a problem of worship. Worship is at the heart of it. So, of course, the king is like, no. No, I am not letting them go. No, they need to go back to their work. But it wasn't just that simple. It wasn't just, no, you have to go back to your work. Things now get worse. Because the Pharaoh is like, as a matter of fact, I'm going to increase their workload. Now things that was readily available for them will not be readily available for them. I'm going to increase their workload, but but I'm going to require that everything still be done in the same amount of time. I'm not going to increase your workload and give you more time to do it. I'm going to increase your workload and, and say you still have to have it done at the same time as before. And he had a really, really strategic reason for this. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. It says, But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You're, you're going to continue to keep them to the same thing. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go offer sacrifices to our God. Nah, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regards to lying words. The way Pharaoh is is processing this and, 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 and thinking about it inside of his head is like the reason why they have the time to even think about worshiping their God, to even think about following their God is because they're not busy enough. They're not busy enough. That's the only reason why they have the time to even think about doing this. So let's up their workload. Let's up their workload and make them so busy, so busy that they don't have the time to contemplate 
truly worshiping God, that they don't have the time to contemplate actually following God. As a matter of fact, this busyness would reinforce the reality of their oppression, the reality of their enslavement. Just just catch and see the overlays. Catch how Pharaoh is, is processing this and the words that he used. You see, even though Moses supposedly came with this word of deliverance from God, what Pharaoh is hoping, hoping is that the circumstances of their lives will cause them to, to doubt the truth of that word, that they would label it a lie and ultimately disregard it. That instead, the sting of, of, of the whips if they did not stay busy, would be a a greater reality of truth than the words of this unknown God. Keep them busy. They don't produce. Bring out the whips. Very, very strategic because you see, just looking at that, that, that busyness, busyness is a strategic weapon against the people of God. Something to contemplate even now inside of our, our culture, busyness, a strategic weapon against the people of God and their trust of the word of God. Keep them busy, keep them busy, so busy they don't believe that it's true. Since we don't trust God, we can't rest. The only thing that I can trust is my ability to work, my ability to to work it out myself, my ability to do it. The only thing that I can trust is my hands and the things that are driving it is the fear of the consequences if I don't work enough. And eventually, since we, we don't trust God, we're not trusting him Things are seeming like it's not even true. We start to disregard his word and, and even use busyness as a, a means to just avoid God altogether. I'm too busy. I'm sorry. I can't come. To, I'm sorry. I got this to do and that to do. I want to make these overlays so that we see that It's the same thing that's going on. It's not a different thing. The same strategies. The enemy isn't employing brand new strategies. The same systems that are putting on different clothes. Well, the story continues to go on and the people aren't able to keep up with the workload. They try, they try, but but they can't. So they had these taskmasters, right? They were, they were, or you had the taskmasters and the taskmasters started to beat the overseers and the overseers were people that were Israelites that were placed over the Israelites. And when the Israelites weren't producing the way that they were supposed to produce, then the overseers would get beaten, So at one point, the overseers are like, this is just crazy. 
it's no way. I got it. We'll go and we'll have a meeting with Pharaoh. And we'll explain to him. And, and so these two overseers, they go to Pharaoh and they're like, yo, Pharaoh, listen, um, it's your people's fault. They're not giving us the things that we need. And if we had the things that we need, we wouldn't even be behind in our work. They go and they complain. It's not fair. But it doesn't make a difference to Pharaoh. He doesn't budge. He doesn't move. Not one bit. As a matter of fact, he reiterates the fact that he believes the only reason why they could even think about following their God is because they're idle They're lazy. You're not busy enough. So the two overseers, they end up leaving out of the Pharaoh's office, and they're discouraged. They're like, that didn't go good at all. They're broken down, and in their hearts and in their minds, They're like, there is no way to keep up. We'll just continue to get get beat. And as they leave, they see Moses and Aaron. And here's how that conversation goes. Verses 20 through 21. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and put a sword in their hands to kill us. Now, before they were they was ready to roll out, they was ready to go. But now they're angry with Moses. Before they were ready to head out, God is going to deliver us. But now they're angry with Moses. And, 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 and if you could see their processing, if you could see how they're thinking in their hearts, they're like, man, if Moses never gave them, thus says the Lord. If Moses never came and said, the Lord is going to do this and the Lord is going to do that, we would have never tried to follow you, man. We would have never tried to, to follow what the Lord was saying. And if we would have never tried to follow what you were saying, God is saying, things wouldn't have gotten worse. And now they're, they're angry with Moses. As, as a matter of fact, they think the Lord needs to judge Moses. You see, sometimes... We interpret things getting harder, things getting more painful, things getting more difficult as a sign that God must not be in this. He must not be with us. He must not be leading us. How could God be leading us and things are just getting worse? And we start to think probably it's not God. But here's the reality. Sometimes following God makes things harder. We need to know that. 
We can't judge it based off of whether or not things will flow smoothly, whether or not our comfort won't be invaded. The reality is sometimes following God, things get harder. It's all the way throughout Scripture. It's not part of the way. All the way throughout Scripture, sometimes following God, things actually get harder. We can't use it getting harder as a way to judge whether or not it's God. We have to submit to him. We have to surrender to him and trust him and know that he is sovereignly in control, even in it getting harder. There's not a part of him that's not in control right now. And, 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 and normally that's when before I gave God a chance, and, and this is when I say, God, you failed, I'll take the driving seat now. I tried it, it got harder, it got worse, my hands are better. Well, they're at a bad place, and they're like, Moses, I don't want to hear from you right now. I hope God judges you, look what you did to us. Moses hears that, and Here's Moses' conversation now with God in 22 through 23. It says, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. You have not delivered your people at all. Notice, Moses doesn't say this when Pharaoh says no. Moses doesn't even say this when Pharaoh ups the workload. Moses says this, Moses says this when the people get upset with them. That's when he has to go back to God like, hey, listen. Listen, many of us are more concerned with what people say than what God says. That needs to resonate inside some of our hearts like, I don't know what. Many of us are all good, all good until people don't like me no more. Oh, we are terrified of being rejected even though we are accepted by the God who created everything that exists. So let me not say this thing real quick. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold back. And the idea of being rejected eclipses the reality that our God is perfect. He even causes us to to question his faithfulness, God goes back and says, you have not delivered them at all. Even though God told Moses, Pharaoh isn't going to let you out, I still want you to do it. But we are more concerned with what people say than what God says. And we got to think about this. 
We got to think about who are those people that, that we're more concerned. We, we, we don't want to voice what God said. We don't want to voice his words because we're more concerned with being rejected by people that are in the same political group as me, people that are in the same circles as me. We, we sit together. You know what's out of your heart. You want to say something about it. But I'm more concerned about what they will say to me. I'm silent. Because at this point, what what I fear the most is being rejected by them. And if I say something and things go bad, parts of my heart is is upset with God and it's like, yo, God, what's up? That's how chapter 5 starts to close out. And we enter into chapter 6. And in God's love, you see how patient he is. Even though Moses is is questioning God's faithfulness, questioning whether or not God is going to do what he says he's going to do, even though Moses, despite the fact that you met God in a burning bush that wasn't being consumed, he showed you all these things, but now because the people are, are, are acting away with you, you're questioning me, and, 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 and God is gracious and patient with him as he is with us. And the way God starts to respond to Moses' questioning as you enter into chapter 6, God's like, well, let me remind you of my name again. I'm Yeshua. You guys get to know me by name. Those that came before me, for you, they just knew me by my authority. They knew me as Almighty God, but, but you know my name. Remind the people of that. You know my name. Then, then he said, Let me remind you of the story. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. There's something about this storyline. I have a proven record. Let me remind you, this is all inside of his patience, all inside of his grace. He's several times already and he's reminding him again just like God will remind us let me remind you of my covenant I'm the one that created the covenant and I am the one that's going to make sure that I keep it let me remind you of my promises I got a place that I'm bringing you to I'm going to deliver you and God is so gentle with, with Moses right now And just reminding him. And then you get to verse 6, chapter 6 and 6. And while he's talking, he says, I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. This is what 
what God was symbolizing when he told Moses to stretch out his arm and grab the snake. Y'all remember that part? He told Moses, stretch out your arm and grab the snake. Even though Moses was afraid, the snake represented Egypt. It represented Egypt, and, and Moses stretching out of his arm represented God stretching out his arm. And the snake turning into the staff, it, it, it represented God's judgment on Egypt, Egypt under his authority. And it's here in Exodus we start hearing this language about God stretching out his arm, the mighty arm of the Lord. You start hearing it more and more throughout scripture. This mighty arm of the Lord that's outstretched and strong. And when you start hearing it, it's symbolic. It's symbolic. You'll see it in Deuteronomy. You see, and it's a reminder of what God has done. And you keep hearing about it, and you go on to Isaiah. Now, in Isaiah, is no more just symbolic. It's, it's, it's no more just metaphorical for the Israels. In Isaiah, it's a picture of Israel's hope. They're hoping in the strong arm of the Lord. But I, I, I want us to continue to, to, to look at this patterning as we think about God reminding him that I'm going to stretch out my arm and how I'm working things together because Christ comes. And when Christ comes, it's more than symbolic, it's more than metaphorical. God has literally put on flesh and has arms that will physically be stretched out for our deliverance. It's no longer just metaphorical for us to see all the ways that this is leading Then the rest of six goes into this genealogy that shows how Moses and Aaron are, are Levites and they're of this priestly bloodline. And when we get to chapter seven, you see God reiterating everything again. He, he makes the statement that Egypt will only know who God is through the stretching out of his arm. And I want to look at Exodus 7, chapter 10 to 13. Let me read this. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down a staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh summoned the wise men, and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said few things I want us to, to think about as we start to get ready for, for communion. Here you see Moses enters in with, with these signs and wonders to make God known. 
God making himself known. Making himself known to the Israelites. Making himself known to the Egyptians. He go into the New Testament. And after a long silence from God, Jesus enters in. He enters in with signs and wonders. Making God known. Making the kingdom of God known. Displaying it to the Jews and also to Rome. You turn and you look at us. And I want to say God, he continued to call his church to make him known. Continue to. With signs and wonders. But here's what I want to say, what the signs and wonders for us may look like. Signs and wonders like love in a culture of hate. Everyone hates one another, but there's this true, authentic love that you see inside of the church as a sign of who God is. Unity in a culture that's so separated, so polarized, but what you're supposed to see inside the church, this this unity that, that doesn't make sense, and it's a sign, and it's a wonder. A people that are humble, humility, and a culture of pride. And this is supposed to be a sign of who God is. A sign that we trust him. A people that are selfless. And a culture that is hyper-selfish. But yet still, They're moving and they're they're trusting God, a people that are depending on God and a culture that depends on itself. True signs and wonders of our age. But we we dismiss them. We We don't see the weight in it. Seeing these things amidst a culture of fake signs. The, 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 the magician brought out snakes. Amidst a culture, an entire culture of fake, fake signs saying, listen, I could do that too. But you look and you see Aaron's snake devoured all the other fake signs because it was greater and it was authentic. Still, Pharaoh chose what was fake over what was true. It doesn't say Pharaoh didn't see that. People will choose what they know on the inside probably isn't authentic because the truth is not something they want to be obedient to. The truth is not something they want to submit to. And I'll do that. It sort of looks like it. I know it really isn't. Deep down inside my heart, there's a thing that's telling me it's really not the deal. But I'm sort of offended by that one because it really checks my heart, and I don't like my heart being checked. I'll take that instead. Church is called to have a prophetic witness in our time, saints. A voice that, that echoes the truth of God in a world of false narratives. 
And we are called to be authentic and discerning. Discerning what's really God and what's really true. Most of us, as we read through Exodus, we read ourselves as the Israelites. God just came to rescue me. In Exodus, it's easy to tell. You have the Israelites over here, you have the Egyptians over there. Israel is God's people. The Egyptians, they want, they're, they're not. Joseph's, he was God's man, but Joseph isn't here no more. He's no longer in a position of rulership and authority anymore. So it's easy to tell the difference. But in, in our times, in our culture, things are a little bit different because some of God's people would be like the Israelites and some of God's people are like the Egyptians and some of God's people are in positions of rulership and authority at highest levels all the way down. Some of us respond like Pharaoh. Like, I don't know God. I don't really know him. Some of us respond like the overseers. Mad at God because serving him makes things harder. Some of us respond like Moses, more concerned of what others may think than what God may think. So I will silent my voice and not make him known. This morning I want to call us to embrace a God who's already stretched out his mighty arms, who's already delivered us and called us in. And as I close us out in prayer and we get ready for communion, I want us to think about that reality. So as we do communion, I'll pray. Father, you are continuously faithful. You're good. It's not like you in all of existence, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your call and your walk, Lord, what you're doing in this time and in culture, Lord that you will call us to walk with you and to trust you and to serve you, Lord. I pray that you would allow us to hear your voice, Lord, that you would give us the boldness to trust you and to follow you, Lord, that we would be people that reflect who you are by the words that we proclaim, and the lives that we live would scream out loud who you are and make you known. We love you, Lord. And we ask that you will cut our hearts where it needs to be cut. And that you will give us strength when you need to give us strength. In Jesus' name.